You are listening to My HR Buzz, brought to you by My HR Concierge. Hosted by Chris Cooley, we'll bring you various topics and guests to shed light on the often confusing world of HR and also employee screening. We'll be putting the human in human resources. Hello, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the My HR Buzz podcast. Uh, I do want to remind you, um, you can find our podcast at all of the normal outlets, such as iTunes and Spotify. Also, if you will, make sure you hit that subscribe button just to make sure that uh, you're always up to date on our latest podcast and the information that we put out. And today we're going to talk with uh, John Yerger. Uh, John is uh, the co-founder of My HR Concierge and My HR Screens. And he's going to talk with us today about unemployment claims and ways that employers can mitigate the risk um, and, and mitigate the unemployment rates and how they can make sure that they win more, uh, you know, hopefully win more of these claims. So, John, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, glad to be part of your podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I guess when it comes to unemployment claims and, you know, one of the things we always like to do is why does it matter? Right. So, so what is the risk to uh, an employer, and why is it important that they address these unemployment claims? Yeah, and you know, it's a very important topic. Uh, all employers deal with unemployment. All employers are responsible for paying in unemployment taxes, um, and the risk is really uh, centered around that experience rating. Right, it's the tax rate that can be impacted by unemployment claims uh, that are filed against that employer and are awarded for the claimant. Yeah, I know. And, you know, to that, um, to that point, I know at a, in a, in a prior, prior position, um, I, I was at a company and we had multiple locations. And when we were looking at unemployment um, cost, as far as claims insurance, uh, one of the things that we found was we had a, a location that was much higher than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And what we found out was they did not fight their unemployment claims. Um, they didn't fight them because they felt that it was bad to the community. And if they, if they did fight them, they would get a bad name. Right. And, right. and so they ended up with, you know, double the unemployment rate of any other location. And it really, really cost them. Yeah, and once that once that rate goes up, it, as you probably know as well, Chris, in a, in, in your former life, that that takes a while for that rate to come down. Uh, if you and, and the only way it can come down is if you properly contest claims that should be contested, and those claims that should be contested are obviously those who, if they voluntarily resign, okay, they they shouldn't be awarded the benefit, and that's we've seen cases where employees will abandon their job, which by no action of the employer, the employees separated themselves from the company and still file for unemployment thinking and hoping that the employer won't contest it. Um, and so that it's important to do that. The other, the other way uh, an employer can contest a claim is if that individual was terminated for cause due to misconduct. And the level of misconduct uh, as, as sort of described by the statute uh, would be a situation where there was willful or negligent misconduct. And so how do we prove that? How do we make sure that uh, when I terminate an employee for misconduct, that I'm looking out for that unemployment claim, that I have all the proper documentation uh, to support a contesting of that particular claim? 
And those are some, some of the things that you and I can talk about as we go through this process today is, is what are some of those strategies uh, and some of the important pieces of, of uh, documentation that are necessary when in contesting a, an unemployment claim? Okay. No, absolutely. And, and so I do know, and, and I know you've seen this too, um, you know, one of the things that we found specifically with this, with, with the way unemployment is today with the federal subsidy, um, the $300 extra per week and those things, um, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these employees are smart and employers really have to look out mm-hmm. because they know how long they have to work mm-hmm. to get unemployment. Um, and they really do game the system. So it, it, it is really important to, you know, to make sure that to, to fight these. And so how do we do that? So how do we, how do we make sure that we, we protect ourselves um, when these employees really try to, um, you know, get this benefit when they shouldn't. And, and, and I do want to clarify too, as we go through this, I mean, we're really talking about those that you mentioned um, when they, when they voluntarily leave those kinds of things, you know, they're not, they're not eligible for the benefit. So we're really right. talking about how to keep those individuals mm-hmm. uh, from getting the, the unemployment benefit. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, uh, it may sound cliche, uh, but it all starts with uh, a properly, uh, documented policy. And that's going to come typically in the form of an employee handbook, right? It's uh, if you have policies that are well-crafted and specifically address those things that are considered misconduct, the behaviors uh, that would lead to, uh, you know, maybe uh, counseling or possibly even a termination uh, based on the severity of the misconduct, uh, that those policies specify what that misconduct is and what the consequences of, uh, of you know, not uh, abiding by or complying with that policy. <clears throat> so um, an example, sexual harassment, let's use that as an example. Uh, typically those, uh, if proven factual and it did, a, did a, uh, in fact occur, um, sometimes those cases are so egregious that there's really not much room for the employer than other to terminate that individual. Uh, So what you want is that policy. Uh, You want that policy in a handbook that is signed off by that employee when they are hired. That's that signature, that acknowledgement of the handbook that they understand the handbook should be in their personnel file. Um, Progressive counseling and discipline, you know, do you have the proper disciplinary action form? And when you became aware of this employee's misconduct or alleged misconduct, did you initiate the proper investigation? Did you uh, find out if there were any witnesses that uh, observed that behavior? Who was the the individual who claimed that they were either involved or or directly involved, whether it be a case of harassment or uh, any other type of interaction that would be considered misconduct? Uh, Theft, fraud, abuse, harassment, those, those are pretty severe uh, infractions at, at the place of employment. And uh, so the employer is going to really want to document that and make sure that they have witness statements as well if there are witnesses that can support that determination. So with that, Chris, that that's really going to be an effective tool to contesting a claim. So when that claim comes in, the employer's responsibility would be to gather all that documentation and as much as possible um, defend their position to terminate that individual with a documentation that proves or provides proof that they were guilty of willful willful or devious misconduct. 
So that's that's the way to contest that as well. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things too I want to bring up, and, and if I could, th there's a, a misconception that if I terminate an employee because they just didn't do the job, okay, if they uh, weren't performing to the level that I needed them to, that they should be denied that benefit. But in fact, uh, if you look at the statutes as they're written, uh, there's no there's no provision that allows an, uh, an employer to deny that employee's benefit or that former employee's benefit uh, of the unemployment due to job performance. So we can't really look at job performance as a disqualification for unemployment. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, the employees are, are smart about unemployment and in recent months uh, with, you know, the situation that we've all been dealing with, the federal government has subsidized that unemployment added to the state benefit, which uh, has been, you know, pretty good deal for a lot of former employees to just draw unemployment, may in some cases make more money on unemployment than they would otherwise. So um, it's important for employers to be aware uh, of how to contest for cause terminations um, and make sure that they're doing everything properly through that investigatory process, through that determination to terminate, making sure the documentation's clear, that the policy that was violated is very clearly stated. Um, so those are ways that an employer can help mitigate that risk of higher rates uh, with their unemployment insurance. Okay, so really it, it really is important, not only that they're contested, but that they use the proper verbiage as it relates to, I guess, the regulations or the codes within that state um, in what in what can um, mean that an employee does not get the unemployment right so that, that verbiage is is key is that right I think so I, you know and if you read the statutes and I, I I would I would encourage your listeners to take a minute and go to their state unemployment uh, offices and, and or online website and look and see if they can find the language in those statutes that would be considered a disqualification. Um, some of the claims forms themselves uh, will provide statutory language in the determination of whether that benefit was awarded or denied. And so the adjudication process, if you, if you look at that and think about what this uh, judge or this determination uh, body is to uh, whether that benefit is awarded or not, they're thinking strictly statutory language. And as, if we can say, for example, um, you know, that this individual uh, physically assaulted and uh, willfully physically assaulted uh, a co-worker and provide the details of that within it, um, that should rise to uh, a level of willful misconduct that, that lays over that statutory language. And you can put in your termination documentation that this was willful misconduct. And so as much as you can match that language, it's, it's very helpful. Um, I want to also, Chris, if I could take just a minute and yeah. go back to that job performance, um, terminating employee for job performance. Now, what I, what I would suggest is let's look at this differently. Let's don't look at it as the performance of the job as a result uh, of this individual's whether 
let me back up. Let's just say you hire this individual. They have the experience. They have the competencies. You know that they can do the job. They can perform those essential duties and tasks to be successful in that job. Uh, you probably would not have hired that individual without interviewing, without making sure that they had the skill sets, the competencies, and the experience to perform the job. If they just aren't able to hit the numbers or are not performing at the level of the standard that you have as an employer in the expectation of that performance, then how can you conclude other than they're just not willing to follow reasonable instruction? I know they can do the job. They've proven that they can do the job either in past performance or with their previous employer. But for whatever reason, this individual is not willing to follow reasonable instruction. And I say that very clearly because that is also statutory language that could deny that benefit for the claimant, is that they're not willing to follow reasonable instructions. That's different than job performance. That's a behavioral issue. That's a, a conduct or, or, or willful uh, behavioral issue of not following those reasonable instructions. And I emphasize the word reasonable because you would expect them to be able, that it's reasonable to expect that they do the job they're hired for. Um, so that's something I, I would encourage employers to look at and exhaust the performance aspect. Make sure that you're coaching that individual, that you're documenting those coaching sessions. And if the coaching sessions aren't working that you've documented, then you move to counseling. Uh, it's beyond it's beyond your you know, performance of the job. This is behavioral. I need you to modify your behavior and start doing the work you're expected to do and that's reasonable. And um, if they're not able to do that, then you have no choice, obviously, at that point, then to make the decision to uh, effectively terminate that relationship. And uh, that's due to failure to follow reasonable instruction, which is misconduct. And I belabor that point a little bit. Um, and I bear with me on that audience, because uh, as you think about um, those decisions that you have to make as an employer. No one looks forward to having to terminate an employee. We want to coach them. We want them to perform at the level that we hope that they will. Um, but there are times where we just have to separate employment. And we want to do it in a way that's proper. And what I just described is proper. Um, but, it, but it also helps you as an employer reduce that risk of uh, uh, unemployment ratings going up or rates going up. Yeah, and it, and it is so important that they that that these employers do that because uh, and go through those steps you mentioned because it is on the employer to prove um, to prove to prove their case right it's it's really on that employer to prove their case the employee um, does not really have the burden of proof is that accurate that's I think that's fair you know we we've been at this for a while and working with uh, uh, unemployment offices and working on behalf of our clients to to handle their unemployment claims. I, I'm going to, again, this is, is not a uh, actuarial number, but I'm saying the burden is about a 70% employer, 30% employee. Uh, the employer really has to make the case to deny these benefits. We've seen situations before uh, where, uh, as an example, where an employee uh, showed a coworker some uh, videos and photographs that that were salacious they were you know a clear violation of uh, of graphic 
photographs um, and, and clearly a violation, uh, uh, if not sexual harassment, uh, it, it's a violation of, of a code of conduct that that is that is not acceptable. Um, and we had a witness statement that um, that uh, was provided as part of the employer's defense of that claim. But the adjudicator just found that it really was just uh, one person's word against the other and that that was not enough evidence to support the reason for determination. So they awarded that benefit. It, you know, so I, I would I would like to say that there's uh, a way to win all your cases, but but you know we've seen that it's difficult um, and that um, it's not easy as you think it would be. It's uh, and there are cases that are awarded that you scratch your head and go I don't I don't know how they could have uh, arrived at that determination, but but we have seen that. So that's just something else for employers to be aware of. You want to do the best efforts you can. Uh, to defend your determination to terminate someone for cause due to misconduct, um, and and do it right. Uh, but but really, it, you you know you want to do as good a job as you can in defending that. Right, and one thing too, you know, and, and as you've gone through this, one of a really important tool in this is the employee handbook, um, and the policies and those things that um, you know that employers should have. How often should they get a handbook reviewed or updated? Um, because I know, you know, I talk to people all the time and it's, you know, well, we last had it updated in 2005 or 2010. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how, what is that? What is, uh, how often should they do that? I would say at least once a year, uh, you know, every 12 months or so. We know looking at various federal labor laws that change, um, also, states, even municipalities, to some extent, are getting into the labor law market and uh, are starting to enforce specific laws um, related to employers. And, and so that handbook, is it's important to do that. But beyond just making sure that your handbook and policies comport with federal and state labor law, you also want to make sure that you're looking at all the various policies and strengthen those policies, uh, elaborate a little bit more, uh, build that standard of conduct uh, out a little bit more, be more detailed in, in explaining what those misconduct standards are or what those high standards are uh, and what a violation is. And then uh, obviously the consequences of that violation too. So uh, the handbook is the cornerstone of that. And when you are able to, as an employer, uh, present a policy that's very clearly defined, that was clearly violated based on your investigation and documentation, and couple that with the employee acknowledgement that they received and understand the handbook and know where to go to ask questions if they have questions, those pieces of documentation are going to really put you in the best position to deny that individual the benefit. Um, A couple of other things I I, I, want to make sure... um, we talk about too is um, what you know. What is a resignation? Um, now, there's there's a couple of misnomers out there. Um, one is is allowing an individual to turn in a two week notice. Um, we've seen situations where the employer did not accept an individual's two week notice that was offered in good faith, Chris. And that individual was awarded unemployment. 
Now, and, and that is, that is uh, again, statutory language that you can read if you take the time to look at what those, uh, those provisions are within the law that allows employers to deny that benefit. Uh, but um, if you don't honor a two-week notice and you tell that individual you can go ahead and leave now, they are automatically eligible for unemployment. And if they file, they will be awarded and you can't defend that. Um, there's another sort of provision within this law that allows individuals to resign employment due to circumstances that they feel that they are either at risk or the environment is such that they cannot tolerate it and have to resign. Uh, it's called constructive resignation. And a constructive resignation, uh, it does offer availability for that claimant to make that case. And if, if found true, then that claimant will be eligible for that benefit. And again, just to kind of help everyone understand what constructive resignation is, it, it's a pretty high bar, Chris. It's not, it's not a loose standard. It's a very specific standard that that individual felt either physically uh, in danger uh, working there and at that location or at that, that employer's uh, place of business and felt that they had no other recourse other than to res resign from employment. Now, typically, this is not something that's done without some notice to the employer that they've, that they've mentioned or socialized to their employer or supervisor that they feel either threatened or feel that they're, uh, the kind of work that they're asking to do is just too dangerous for them to, to perform. So that's something else employers need to be aware of as well. No, and that's a good point because I do know that, you know, that that happens. We see that happen a lot. And, um, and when that occurs, obviously they don't, they don't, um, won't have the opportunity to, to fight that unemployment claim. So, you know, I think, I think that's a lot of great information. Uh, it sounds like really what, what, uh, an employer needs to do is really make sure that, um, you know, they have the policies in place, they have the procedures in place, um, make sure that they're familiar with regulations to, mm -hmm. where they could get that verbiage. Uh, I know you and your team do that every day. Um, so if someone does have a need or, or needs help with that, how do they contact you? Well, they can uh, go to our website, um, look at our service section on our website, look at our unemployment uh, claims process. They get a better understanding of what that service entails. Um, you can call us uh, at 855-242-1802. That's our customer service line. Um, I guess it was okay, Chris, for me to publish that number. Um, but they can certainly call uh, and inquire uh, if they have any questions. And you may want to give them uh, the number to our business development side of the house as well. That, that'll be a resource that they can contact if they have any questions. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I, I really appreciate you, you jumping on today. I think it's been a lot of great information. I think a lot of people struggle with this. And so I think it's something that can really help a lot of business owners and, and management teams. Yeah. And I want to thank everybody else for, for listening today and joining us. Um, again, we do encourage you hit that subscribe button, make sure you get our, our latest uh, information and you can keep up with everything that we're, we're putting out. We do try to put out uh, podcasts, um, uh, you know, bi-weekly. Uh, we also uh, check our blog. We got information hitting that every day. 
uh, and that's at www.myhrbuzz.com. If you have some topics for the for the podcast that you'd like for us to to talk about, you know, you can email us at podcast at myhrbuzz.com. If you need to reach me, uh, if you need to reach our our customer development, you can call us at 855-538-6947. And my direct extension is 108. Uh, And my email address is ccooling at myhrconcierge.com. And again, we appreciate you joining us and look forward to uh, talking with you next time.